Happy Easter, everybody. Anybody excited to celebrate the resurrected Jesus Christ with his church? So grateful. We've been so looking forward to doing this with you guys, and uh, we're glad you're here. I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor here at the church, and I want to welcome those of us in the room, those of you who are at one of our campuses. We're so grateful for our extended Seacoast family all around South Carolina and Nashville, North Carolina, and uh, we also love our people who are joining us online. And uh, hey, if you're online, tell us where you're watching from in the chat. Uh, we'd love to connect with you guys. Hey, before I jump into the message, I do want to honor uh, my mom and dad. You know, today, Easter Sunday, is our 35th anniversary as a church, uh, which is so exciting for us. I brought a picture from the first day of Seacoast. There we are, uh, this family from Northern Illinois moved down to Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, knew one family, uh, but had a dream in our heart to plant a church. You know, the guy on the left, that kid, the blonde headed, he did most of the heavy lifting in the early days. You can probably tell that, but that's me, my siblings, my parents, and uh, they came with just a dream. And 35 years later, uh, God continues to do more than we could ask or imagine. And what's cool about it is we're preaching the same message today that we did on that first day. We're preaching the risen Christ. That's the motivation for us. That's why we're here. And uh, it has the power to change our lives. And I can't wait to see uh, maybe some of us connect those dots for what does this whole resurrection thing have to do with my life today? How, how many of you have ever, ever lost something that was important to you? Anybody ever lose something? Uh, I'm not just talking about like our family Easter egg hunts. We do a golden egg, uh, which has money in it. And so there's 14 cousins. And sometimes you get to the end of the family Easter egg hunt and nobody has found the golden egg. And then it's like the intensity goes up and everybody's looking for it. And it's like $5. It's not going to change anybody's life. Well, seven-year-old's life, it might change. But, but I'm talking about like something that was really important to you. I've lost phones over the years. I've lost keys that mattered that kind of caused some stress in my life. One time I lost my seven-year-old daughter. That uh, was a bad day uh, in a department store, actually. And um, what I notice about that is the further I get from losing that thing or that person, the more the anxiety and the stress of like, I need to find them, it, it rises. You know, I'm thinking I have to report back to her mother uh, on what happened here. And so we're like five minutes, 10 minutes down. I'm searching this place. And I'd love to tell you that I found her. I didn't. Somebody else did. And then the overcome voice came out and said, hey, if anybody lost their daughter, we've got her over here in the, you know, underwear section. And so I got to do the walk of shame over there. Like, yep, that was me. Uh, but, but you lose something and it can be stressful to find it. Some of you are dealing with much greater losses. You, you know what it is to have lost somebody to death, somebody that you love, that, that maybe you weren't expecting. And you know the, the grief and the, the disappointment that you walk through when you go through a story like that. Today, we're going to look at the resurrection story through the lens of somebody who was dealing with tremendous loss. Uh, her name is Mary Magdalene. And if you know her story, she was actually in a really rough spot when she met Christ. Uh, she was demon possessed. She was that person in the family that nobody really knew what to do with her. Nobody knew how to help her. They had tried a lot of things, but <clears throat> she just was, was, so, was struggling so much. And she meets Jesus and it changes her life. Uh, she experiences this freedom that she never thought she could experience. And now you fast forward a couple of years and she's watched that person who set her free die on a cross. And she's overwhelmed 
with grief. So we're going to read her story. And here's the deal. I need, I need to ask you a favor. I know that you know how the story ends. Like we're here because Jesus rose from the dead. She didn't know that in this moment. And I want you to imagine being in the tension of not knowing. And the reality is we're all living out our own stories right now. We're living in the tension of our stories of maybe you put your faith in Christ, but you're not sure how your story is going to turn out and how he's going to come through. And, and you can see that tension in her story. It's in John chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 1 through 17. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. You know, we sing about the stone being rolled away as a good thing. She didn't see it as a good thing in the, in the, in the moment. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Who is that, you might ask? That's the guy that wrote the book. That's John. Uh, he likes to highlight the fact that he was Jesus's favorite. But she comes and she says, hey, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. This wasn't a good thing for her. Peter, the other disciple, started out for the tomb and Again, because he wrote the book, he wanted all of us to know in verse four that they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. If you've ever had a brother that you were faster than, like I was, you need people to know that. And he just, he wanted us to know. They stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. I'm going to skip a couple verses that I'm going to come back to in a few minutes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've, they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. You hear her saying this story again. Somebody stole the body. I don't know where he is. She turned to leave. And someone, she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought that he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. We're 15 verses in to the resurrection story. She's been in the presence of the resurrected Christ and she still missed it. And I believe that's possible for us too, we can know the story. We can be around Jesus and miss Jesus. And it's not until verse 16 that the light bulb goes off for her. Mary, Jesus said, she turned and, and, and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and she told them, I've seen the Lord. She gave them his message. And so we, we encounter her and we see her encountering the resurrection. And at the end of the story, she becomes the first person to proclaim the risen Christ. And, and she's in this place of, of mission, but she didn't get there automatically. It took her a while in her search for Jesus. And you have to know that her job uh, as, as, as one of the women who were close to him was to, to, to find his body and to, to put the appropriate spices to prepare his body 
for burial. They couldn't do it on Saturday because it was the Sabbath. And so she was coming early Sunday and she had a mission. She had an assignment and it was to find Jesus. And there were some things that, that kept her from being able to see Jesus and understand what was going on. And, and I believe that for many of us, we're on our own journey to find Jesus. Maybe you have been around Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been a part of the church for a long time, but you've struggled to really know Jesus, to find him, to connect the dots. So what does this mean to me? Maybe you have never heard about Jesus, but you're here on Easter Sunday and there's some kind of search going on in your own life to find him. And I believe the same things that blinded Mary can oftentimes blind us from being able to see Jesus. So in our search for Jesus, some will be confused by the Jesus that we're looking for. You know, that was true of Mary. She was confused. It's easy in hindsight to be like Mary. Like, how many clues did you need? There was a stone rolled away. There were grave clothes on the, on the ground. Uh, there are literal angels that showed up to you. Jesus himself showed up to you. Why, why didn't you see it? But if you put yourself in her shoes, it, it was all so confusing. Jesus had even predicted that this was going to happen. He told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again on the third day. But, 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 but she was confused about what was going on. And part of what made it confusing for her is that she was looking for a dead Jesus and she wasn't going to find a dead Jesus. I think sometimes we get confused because we're looking for a dead religion. We're looking for you know, a set of rules or rituals that we go through and and that's not what the empty tomb gave us. It gave us a risen, live Christ. And so, so some of us get confused. It can be that there are conflicting versions of the truth. Has anybody else noticed in our culture today, it can be hard to figure out what's true. You can watch different news sources tell the same story with very different versions of the truth of what happened. And, and, and I know for me, I was hoping that like with the, the onset of AI, you know, we've got this new artificial intelligence that we'd be able to maybe have a better like ground zero for finding truth. And so uh, have any of you messed around with AI or looked at chat GTP? Okay, okay, GPT, I think it is. I decided to test it. And so I asked chat GPT to tell me a little something about Pastor Josh Surratt. I just want to find out what, what AI says about me. I want to read it to you. This is a really great bio. Josh Surratt is a pastor and author based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, he currently serves as a lead pastor of Seacoast Church's Charlotte campus. We have never had a Charlotte campus, but maybe AI is prophetic. If you're watching from Charlotte, you know, maybe we're going to get something going on in Charlotte. Who knows? Prior to his role at Seacoast Church, Surratt served as the pastor of the multi-campus Seacoast Church in Mount Pleasant and also served as a teaching pastor at New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina. I love New Spring. Uh, I've never preached there before, but you know. Surratt has written several books, including The Holy No, Worship as a Sub Subversive Act, and Second Wind, a Manifesto for Faith at Work. I've not only not written those books, I've never heard of those books, but <laughs> I'm open to taking uh, honorariums or, um, you know, royalties for those if, if, if somebody knows how to connect those dots. But He's also a popular speaker, has spoken at numerous conferences and events around the country. In addition to his work as pastor and author, Surratt is known for his leadership and coaching skills. 
He has helped train and develop other pastors and leaders through his work with organizations such as the ARC and the Purpose Driven Network. I love this bio. It is great. I've asked my team to switch our current bio on the website to that one. You know, there's only one problem with the bio. It's not true. It's not that, you know, if you don't know me, if you know me real well, you can read that and go, I don't think that's true. But if you just kind of know about Seacoast or know about me, you can easily read that and go, oh, cool. That's that's his story. And the same thing happens with Jesus. Everybody's got their own version of Jesus and every side of whatever argument you're in right now is going to claim that Jesus is on their side, right? Everybody has kind of created a Jesus in their own image that supports what they believe and what they want. And it can be confusing to figure out who is Jesus. And and what I want to do is bring a little bit of clarity to us in our confusion. Who is Jesus? What, What do you need to know about Jesus? One thing you need to know is that Jesus was an actual historic figure. This is not a a fairy tale about something that happened a long time ago in a land far away. What I love about our trips to Israel, we we love to take people on a pilgrimage to Israel. We're actually going to do two of these trips next year. Is that you realize, wow, this is not just something that happened someplace. It was God intersecting human history in a specific location. And and every year they do archaeological digs in Israel. And every year they find more stuff that substantiates what we read about in scripture. This is, he was a real person. And you don't even have to take the Bible's word for it. There are many historical books that have been written about the life, the miracles, the, the, the legacy of Jesus Christ. He, he actually came. He lived. You also need to know that he died for our sins. He died for our sins. That really happened. We, we, we observed Good Friday at many of our campuses this week, and we, we kind of experienced the weightiness of the cross and of what really happened on that Friday. We sang today right before I came up about this song. It talks about it's never been about performance. It's never been about us getting our act together before we could get. In fact, at our worst moments is when Jesus died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. At our worst, he paid a price for our sin that we we should have paid, but couldn't pay. He lived a, a sinless life. He was a perfect sacrifice for our sins so that even though as recently as yesterday, I, I'm sure that I've blown it and I've acted poorly towards my family. I don't have to get up on this platform and feel like, oh man, no, Christ's blood covered it. His blood covered our sin. You need to know about Jesus that he rose from the dead to prove that he was God. That's the most important fact that if you don't Believe it. If you haven't settled, don't take my word for it. Research it yourself because there have been many people in history who have laid down their life for for people that they love. There is only one in history that predicted that he would die, predicted that he would raise again, and then actually rose again and appeared in front of hundreds of people. There were many people in history that were, were killed in first century, and all they had to do was renounce the resurrection and they would have lived but they couldn't because they saw him with their own eyes. And there are many accounts of that. And that's what proves to us that Jesus was God. He was who he said that he was. And that's what also gives us hope that we can experience the resurrection power 
for ourselves. So, so some of us, like Mary, we've just been confused by the Jesus that we're looking for. Some of us be disappointed by the Jesus that we're looking for. Just disappointed. If you go back to the story of Mary, you see disappointment all throughout it. Verse 13, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know what, what they've, where, where they put him. And, and then she turns and, and Jesus asks her the same question, right? And she answers with the same thing. We see it three different times in this story. She's running the same tape over and over and over again in her head about what happened. That's what grief does to us. Some of you know that's what disappointment. We, we experience a loss or a disappointment, and maybe we run the same tape about ourself. You're a failure. You blew it. You're never going to have another opportunity. Maybe we run the same tape about God. We, we, we thought he was going to answer a prayer in one way, and he didn't. Then it disappointed us, and we start running the same thing, and she can't see Jesus because she's so closed in by her own disappointment. What they do with his body. What they, I, I'm, on, I'm on mission. I need, to, I need to handle his body. And again, she's looking for a dead Jesus, and she's so overwhelmed with her grief that she can't see him. And if, if we don't look through the lens of faith, we're going to have a hard time seeing Jesus. Disappointment. Some of us have been disappointed by, by church people. Some of us ex have experienced disappointment by somebody who claimed to be a follower, maybe even was a leader in the church, but they, they handled themselves very differently than Jesus did, which the Bible says being in his very nature, God, he, 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 he didn't use that for his own advantage. He, he poured himself out to serve others, gave his life as a ransom for us. And maybe you've just had a disconnect between how people in the church have treated you and the Jesus that you read about. And it's created disappointment. It's made it hard for you to see Jesus. Maybe you can relate to Mary's disappointment. Maybe you can relate to her confusion. But the good news is that some will be changed by the Jesus who is looking for them. See, that's the moment where this story changes. The first 15 verses, Mary's trying to find Jesus when the whole time Jesus had been pursuing her. And, and her disappointment and her confusion was not too much for, for the risen Christ to break through. And the moment that everything changed for Mary is verse 16, when the risen Christ says her name, Mary, Jesus said, and at that moment, she turns. It's like the veil is, is removed from her eyes and, and, and she sees him. Rabbi, you're, oh, yeah, oh my gosh. And, and her life is now forever changed because Jesus said her name. You know what it feels like to have your name called, don't you? I mean, sometimes we want to have our name called. Uh, I was at the DMV with my son this week. He got his permit. So pray for us. But you want to, you want to hear your name called at the DMV and it feels like it's never going to happen, right? Uh, if, if, if I think back to the old playground days when there are two captains picking the team, like, uh, please call my name. Don't make me be the last one, especially if there's an odd number. And it's like, well, you can have him. Well, you can, you know, no, you want to hear your name called. There are other times you don't want to hear your name called. Uh, I know that that picture that I showed you earlier, that eight year old version of Josh, he did not like it when Joshua Gregory Surratt was uttered from his mother's mouth because that meant we were going to have some problems. You know, I don't want to hear my name in that moment. But, but Mary hears her name called, and that's what changes it for her. 
I can remember a significant time in my life when I heard my name called. I, I as most of you have probably assumed, I was an athlete when I was growing up, and um, <laughs> but I was. I played. I played football. I played a, a number of sports. My junior year of high school, I was the backup quarterback on my my varsity football team, and, and I had been to spring practice and summer practice, and I'd been to the the games. I had a jersey with my name on it. I I had a letter jacket with a little pin on it, and and my role was the backup quarterback. I, I went to all the games and. In game three, we were playing a team called Thomas Hayward Academy, and they may have changed now, but back then they let people play on their high school football team till they were about 30 years old. Um, they, they had some grown men on those teams, and so they could hit. And our starting quarterback was a guy named Charlie Lowe. He was the best athlete on our team. We were all afraid of him. He was just slightly crazy to where he would hit you so hard. He was our linebacker, returned the kickoffs, played quarterback. He was a star. And he returned the opening kickoff against Thomas Hayward, and he ran into one of those big boys from the country that just flattened him and knocked him unconscious. And so we're on the sideline. We're, we're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on with Charlie? And, and I'm like overwhelmed. Just he's my friend. And how is he doing? And, and I hear, Surratt, Surratt. I'm thinking, I hope they're talking about my brother because I don't want to go in right now. <laughs> but I look over and coach says, get over here. And so I walk over to coach and he grabs me by the helmet and he, the face mask, he looks in my eyes and he said, Josh, this is your team now. You're our quarterback. Go out there and lead our team. And I'm telling you that moment that he called my name, I had been on the team up to that point. I had all the jerseys, the same experiences, but, but my experience with the team changed drastically when the coach called my name. I found myself in the huddle. I found myself leading. And from that moment until I graduated from high school, I was, I was a starting quarterback. My name got called. I had a purpose and a mission. And we got our butts kicked by Thomas Hayward that day. Just in case you're wondering, it wasn't a, a noteworthy story they wrote movies about. But I did become a quarterback. And it changed my experience. And when the risen Christ called Mary's name, she went from her grief and confusion to on mission. She became the first person to proclaim the risen Christ to the disciples because, because her name got called. And I believe that the same risen Christ has the power and the ability to call your name as well. I was 18 years old, moved out of my house at 17, was living a life far from God. That little Nine-year-old kid, eight-year-old kid, he grew up in the church. I knew everything. I knew all the stories. I sat through these Easter services. I was around the team a lot. But at 18 years old, I went to a small group. And I don't know how to explain it to you other than Jesus called my name. I said, Josh, it's time. Get in the game. And, and, and I knew. I, I knew that he was calling my name. And I just said yes to him. And everything about my life changed. When I finally decided, all right, I'm going to respond to Christ calling my name. I haven't been perfect since then by any means, but I've never been the same since then. And my prayer for you today has not been that you would experience really cool music and a practical, relevant sermon that gave you three points to live a better life. Our prayer for you has been that you would hear Jesus call your name and that you would respond to him. You know, I was with a friend this week at the hospital, and he's very close to hearing Jesus call his name for the final time on this side of eternity, and he's going to call him to heaven. A very good friend of mine, a guy who has served our church for a long, long time, and we were crying together, and we were laughing together. We were talking about 
some of the stories that we've experienced together. And we were talking about the resurrection and, and we were looking at the story that we're looking at today. And there was a part of the story that stood out to me while I was down at the hospital with him. And I just want to show it to you. It's the part that we skipped over in verse six it says, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. So he saw the grave clothes on, on the floor. But verse seven, I don't know that I've ever noticed this before. An entire verse of the Bible says, while the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. It was noteworthy to be included in scripture that when they looked into the tomb, there were the grave clothes, but then folded up nicely. The King James version calls it a napkin It's folded up nicely separate from the grave clothes. This was a napkin that would have been used to cover Jesus's face when they pulled him off of the cross and laid him in the tomb. What is that about? So I began to ask questions like, what, what, what does that mean? I asked AI and it didn't, I'm just kidding. I didn't actually ask AI about that. Theologians don't really know. I mean, some people wonder if maybe it was a, a, a sign that he, that there weren't people that robbed the grave. You know, they wouldn't have folded this thing up and left it like that. Uh, maybe it was a symbolic of the separation, you know, of Jesus's body from his spirit Maybe he had a Jewish mother and he knew he had to make his bed when he got out of that thing because uh, she was going to come find it. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But as I was talking to my buddy and I had this thought that occurred to me, and I'm not arguing that this is a theological thought, but it's a practical thought for us today. When I'm at a restaurant and, and I'm eating, if I get up uh, to go to the bathroom, uh, I, I'm going to take my napkin and I'm going to fold it up and I'm going to drape it over the chair. I'm going to fold it up on the deal. If I'm done eating, I'm going to crumble it up and, and throw it on the plate, right? Or throw it on the table. And I'm going to walk away. But, but why do I do that? Because if the server comes back to the table and I'm not there, when the napkin is folded up, it tells him I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I can't help but just think that this image of this obscure verse in the Bible could just be a reminder for us when we're dealing with our own confusion, when we're dealing with our own disappointment, when we're walking through what I'm walking through this week and saying goodbye to a friend. And he looked at me when I was talking to him about this napkin and he said, Josh, I'm getting ready to go, but I'm coming back because Jesus came back because the folded napkin was there. It's a reminder for us that Jesus promised he was coming back and he did. And there are eyewitnesses to it, but he also promised that he's coming back again. And what that means for me is that I can have hope not only for this life, but that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not shall, shall live, shall have eternal life, live forever with Christ. He's coming back, which means that if we're in Christ, we have that promise of eternal life with God. Is Jesus calling your name today? I believe he still has the power to do it. Revelation 3.20 says, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice, like Mary did, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I believe Jesus is knocking on some of the doors of our hearts today. And he just wants to invite us to a changed life. He doesn't want to make 
a bad life better. He wants to take the things that are dead in our life, us, our soul, and breathe life into it, that we would live a life abundantly. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you that while there's no human being that could know all of the stories that are represented in this room or at our campuses or online today, we couldn't know where we're struggling with confusion or disappointment or loss, but you do. And you have a way of speaking directly to our hearts. And so God, I believe that today you're calling some of us by name. You're knocking on the door of our hearts. And as we continue to pray, if you're here and you're like I was at 18 and you don't really know exactly how to say it, but you just know that the Holy Spirit is at work and that, that God is calling your name, that Jesus is calling your name. If you're here today and you just want to respond to that, what's interesting about the door that Jesus was knocking on is it didn't have a handle from the outside. It can only be open from the inside. Jesus isn't going to force his way in to your life, but we can invite him in. And if you're here today and you would just say, I want to invite him into my life. I want to pray specifically for you. Maybe you have never done that. Maybe you've done that, but really it's been a long time since you felt like you were living that resurrection life. If that's you today, I'm going to count to three. Would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I just want to pray for you here and at our campuses. So one, two, three. If you just want me to pray for you, just raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Praise God. Absolutely. Lord, we give you our life today. Lord, we're asking you to come in. Lord, to walk with us, to work with us, to show us how to live this powerful resurrection life. God, we know that you came and you died for our sins on a cross. We know that you paid a price that we should have but couldn't pay on our own. We, we believe that you rose from the dead. We want to experience your power, your life your grace for our sin. God, I pray for all of us that are here today and whatever we're walking through, Lord, some of us today, we need your peace. Some of us need your comfort, God. Some of us need your boldness. Some of us need your forgiveness. You know exactly what we need. Would you speak to us today? Would you inhabit the praises of your people? Would you move in a powerful way? in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you rose from the dead. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen.